0: Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. This morning we are going to be continuing in our sermon series this summer, walking through this letter written by James. And while you're turning there, I wanted to let you know about a couple of things going on at Coastal Gloucester. So this Saturday is gonna be our men's breakfast at 7 a.m. So fellas, get up early on Saturday and come out, have a great breakfast, great time of fellowship, and some time together in the Word. But don't go home after that, uh, because at nine o'clock this Saturday is our Gloucester cleanup day. We are going to be doing a Gloucester cleanup day at Gloucester Point Beach, So it's summer, we're gonna pray for great weather. It's a great opportunity for us as a church family to go. And by the way, it's not just for the men, but we can just go over after the breakfast. Ladies and children, please come as well. Uh, It's a great opportunity for us to go to the beach, to clean up, to serve, and then maybe to have some fun time together hanging out. So I hope that you'll come out this Saturday, June 18th, 9 to 11, Gloucester Point Beach. Great opportunity to serve our community. Next, you're not expecting this one. I'm just warning you, okay? Next is Yuck Day. That's not a typo. It's Yuck Day. Uh, We asked Pastor Steve before the service, what is Yuck Day? He said it is what it sounds like. Uh, This is for our student ministry on Thursday night. It's gonna be a really fun time outside. We've got some games and some food, and it's gonna be a lot of fun around the theme of, you guessed it, Yuck Day. So I really hope if you're a middle or high school student, you will come out this Thursday night at six o'clock. It's gonna be a great time. Wave camps are coming up the last week of June into July, June 27th through July 1st for grades one through five. This is gonna be really awesome. I've been talking to Christian, the guy on staff who runs Wave Camps. We've got a lot of really awesome opportunities for our Wave Camps this year. Some great activities, some great opportunities to serve. So I really am excited about Wave Camp this year. Parents uh, with children in grades one through five, go to gocoastal.org slash summer events to register. We'd love for you to be able to send your kids to Wave Camp. And one last housekeeping thing. I wanna let you guys know that in a couple of weeks, two Sundays from now, we have our family service where we have the opportunity to celebrate Celebrate the Lord's Supper and to do baptisms, which is something we're super excited about. We're going to be filming our baptism testimonies right after this service, and because space is limited in this building, we actually need this room to get started. Uh, And one of the things I'm excited to have in the new building is a lobby, you know, a place where we can hang out other than in here. So this is my long and very polite way of saying, right after this service, yeah, Uh, you guessed it. So it's a beautiful day. You know, hang out under the porch. We have some wonderful restaurants in Gloucester uh, to continue the fellowship. But right after this service, we do need this space to film baptism testimony. So thank you for that. All righty. James chapter 2. We're going to be looking at James 2, verses 1 through 13. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the sin of partiality. The sin of partiality. Now, what is partiality? The dictionary defines it as an unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. It's the idea that we're judging a person based solely on external characteristics and then we're treating them differently. This is what James is going to address in this passage of Scripture this morning. And I think we're all familiar with partiality. We probably don't even need the dictionary in our lives, if we're being honest, there have been times where we have been quick to judge another person unfairly based on what's on the outside. Perhaps we've been the victim of that in our lives. We've been judged unfairly or mistreated uh, because of an external characteristic, and we know how hurtful that can be. partiality, it's on a spectrum, right? It can range from impolite all the way to genocidal depending on where it is in the spectrum. Remember what it says earlier in James, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. So partiality on a more small example, I could give you from my own life. A lot of you guys know I worked at a hospital for many years before I came on staff here at Coastal. I worked in a surgical center. And I observed even back then, there was just a little something different about when a surgeon walked in the room and when a janitor walked in the room. When the surgeon walked in the room, oh, hello, doctor, how are you today? How are the kids? Beautiful weather we're having, right? Did you catch the game last night? You know, all bubbly and happy, and then the janitor walks in and we don't make eye contact. I'm sure you guys could probably bring examples of your own life for the same kind of thing, right? And that's on the impolite side of the spectrum. What about all the way over here? What about when sin is fully birthed and it brings forth death? That's what we call things like the Holocaust. That's what we call things like slavery, where sinful partiality has reached such a hatred and a murderous extent that that is what's possible. So this is a very serious thing that we need to address this morning. I don't want to sugarcoat it. This is a heavy sermon this morning because this is a heavy topic, but I'm thankful that the Bible is real. The Bible deals with real issues that we struggle with in a broken and messed up world. And I think that we desperately need the message of James chapter two so that as followers of Jesus, we can treat other people with the love and respect and mercy that they deserve as people made in God's image. So let me give you the main point of my sermon this morning. Followers of Jesus should refuse to show partiality, but instead should relate to one another with love and mercy. With that in mind, let's read this text together. James chapter two, we'll read verses one through 13. The word of God says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, has also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing over this time in your word this morning. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come now and would open up our hearts and minds to learn what this word has to teach us, Lord, because I believe we desperately need it. Lord, would you reveal to us in our hearts the sinful ways in which we judge other people. Lord, would you cause us to come to a place of conviction and repentance, and would you instead inspire us to show love and mercy at every opportunity that we have change our hearts this morning and let that overflow in our words and actions. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So this text begins with a command in verse one. Do not show partiality. That's the command here. Do not... Show partiality. Verse one says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is something he's assuming they're believers. As you do this, as you hold your faith in Jesus, as you go through your Christian life, don't do it with an attitude of partiality. You know, some translations that you have might say favoritism for that word. It's really the same basic idea. In the Greek, it literally means to receive someone according to the face. It's an interesting picture, isn't it? To receive someone according to what is on the outside, to judge someone based on what is on the outside. And there is both a positive and a negative side to this, isn't there? I mean, think about the illustration that he uses. Their partiality causes them on the one hand to suck up to the rich guy and it causes them to mistreat the poor guy. So partiality can kind of cut both ways. It can cause us to treat people with undue approval or with mistreatment and disdain. And now let me just offer a clarifier here. The sinful partiality that James is describing here is not just liking one person more than another. There's nothing wrong with liking one person more than another person. There's nothing wrong with having favorites. Let me tell you guys, and give you a little secret. I have a favorite church member here at Coastal Gloucester. Her name is Megan, right? And you guys should be concerned if she were not my favorite church member here at Coastal Gloucester, right? That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a sort of sinful, judgmental attitude that causes us to pander to some people and mistreat or look down on other people, judging based on external characteristics. And now we see examples of this all throughout scripture, don't we? particularly in Abraham's family. So the majority of the book of Genesis, Genesis 12 to Genesis 50 is about one family. And this is one of their favorite sins is partiality and favoritism. Think about this. Isaac and Rebekah have a set of twins and they both have a favorite. Isaac's favorite is Esau. Um, and Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. And now you would, that led to a lot of issues. You can read that story for yourself. And then you would think because of what Jacob experienced growing up, he would have known better and he would have learned his lesson about favoritism, right? No. So he gets married. Then he finds another wife and gets married again. So that's just a side point, bad idea. Uh, One at a time, please. So they're married and it leads to a lot of issues in their home, a lot of conflict in their home. And then you would think, okay, surely he's learned his lesson by now. I mean, his parents played favorites. He's got favorites in his marriage. When he has kids, it's going to be better this time, right? Have you heard of Joseph? What did he do with Joseph? Oh, he bought him the coat of many colors. He was his favorite. And how did his brothers take to that? They tried to kill him and they sold him into slavery. Again, we see favoritism breeding its ugly head and bringing about conflict and disorder in the home. And that's in the Old Testament. What about in the New Testament? What about the Samaritans? You guys remember the Samaritans, right? They are the group of people that it says the Jews have no dealings with. So in John chapter four, that's why it's so scandalous that Jesus was having a conversation with a Samaritan woman because there was this sinful partiality taking place. We see this in scripture, but we also see it in our own world and in our own lives. In the same way as Jacob, we also can see favoritism in parenting. Perhaps we've experienced it as parents or as the child, and we've seen the destructive effects that can have in the home. We see favoritism as this text shows us for those who have wealth. We can treat wealthy people with a certain level of respect and then have disdain for poor people. We can do this based on physical attractiveness. We can do this based on what job a person has, how much education they have, what political party they belong to, based on their race, based on their gender, based on their age. We could keep going. The point is that in our sinfulness, we are really good at finding ways to judge people and mistreat them. The list goes on and on and on with sinful partiality where we find these ways to categorize people and to label them and to treat them in a certain way on the basis of purely external things. And James goes on to give us an illustration of what that looks like in church. Look at verses two through four with me. He says, "'For if a man wearing a gold ring "'and fine clothing comes into your assembly,' And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You can picture that in your mind, can't you? Let's put this in modern terms, shall we? A guy pulls up for church this morning in his Ferrari. Uh, He gets out wearing a fine tailored suit, probably worth more than my house. He walks in, he's got the gold Rolex on. He comes on in and we're like, oh, sir, good morning. Welcome to Coastal. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Why don't you come up here? We'll reserve the row for you. You can have the finest seat. Can we get you some coffee? Hey, let's go let Pastor Nate know you're here so he can preach on tithing this morning. Just thank you so much for coming. Now, next scene. A homeless guy walks in off the street. He's got dirty, shabby clothes, kind of smells bad. He comes in and we're embarrassed. Oh no, we don't want this guy to think that that's the kind of people that come here. So, you know, why don't you go and sit in the corner, try not to be seen, try to be quiet, because if we're being honest, we'd really rather you not be here because we don't want people to think that we have these kind of people that go to church here. Now, that sounds offensive to us, and it should. That's James's point. But if we're being honest, there have been times in all of our lives where we have become judges with evil thoughts like this, as James says in chapter four, where we have been judged in this way and we have judged in this way. And can you see that what they're doing in this illustration is rooted in selfishness? What I love about this illustration is neither the rich guy nor the poor guy say or do anything. They just come to church. (laughs) They don't say or do anything. It's us that react the way that we do. It's our selfishness that causes us to pander to the one and mistreat the other. And here's why we do it. These judges with evil thoughts think, this person has money, I want it, so I'll suck up to them to get it. This person has social status. People think they're important. So I've got to stand close to them so people will think that I'm affiliated with them and I will look important. And on the flip side, this person's a nobody. He stinks, he's poor, he's broke. So if I'm seen with him, people will think that I'm that way. So I've got to back off. These are the evil thoughts that James talks about in verse 4. This is what partiality looks like. In the first part of this sermon, I just wanted to expose to us the ugliness of the sin of partiality so that we will see it for what it is and God will grant us a desire to repent. Because next, James is going to give us three reasons not to show partiality. He's going to give us three reasons not to show partiality. The first is that it's contrary to God's character, it's contrary to God's character. All throughout the Bible, we learn about the God who is just, the God who is righteous, the God who is impartial. Let me give you just a small sample of scriptures here. Deuteronomy 10 verse 17 says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. And what does Moses say about him? Who is not partial and takes no bribe. Our God is impartial. He is just, he can't be bought off. He is righteous. Paul in the New Testament says this very bluntly, for God shows no partiality. We're made in the image of God, which means our purpose in life is to reflect his character, And so this is an aspect of his character that we're called to reflect. And there's a story that illustrates that really well. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel the prophet is sent to anoint the next king of Israel. And he knows that it's going to be in Jesse's family. So when he goes there, he meets Jesse's oldest boy. And he's tall and he's handsome. And he thinks, oh God, surely this is it. I mean, just look at him. This guy has got to be the next king of Israel. And this is what the Lord says do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's a good biblical definition of partiality, looking on the outward appearance, making assumptions based on the outward appearance, whereas the Lord looks on the heart. And this is something that we should praise God for. We should praise God that he is a just, a righteous and eminently fair God. The reality is, as I've mentioned, we are made in God's image and this is a way that we reflect him. That's why one of the first things you learn to say when you learn how to speak is that's not Fair. fair. It's one of the first things we learn how to say is that's not fair because we're made in the image of a God who is just. It is our sin in us. It is our sinful nature that causes us to distort that and show partiality in our judgment toward others. This text shows us that Jesus Christ does not show partiality. It's contrary to God's character. It's contrary to God's son's character. Here's why. James 2.1 describes Jesus with the title this way. He is the Lord of glory. He is Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Yet what did the Lord of glory do? He came to this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a life as a poor Jewish carpenter until he died on a cross, a criminal's death in our place. And who did he die for? Did Jesus just die for the rich, for the important, for the elite, for the experts, for the whatever else? No, Jesus died for sinners like you and me. If Jesus had shown partiality, I'd be lost. If Jesus had shown partiality, we all would be lost. Yet he did not. And we are called to reflect this aspect of his character. So first, partiality is contrary to God's character. But second, Partiality is contrary to the gospel. It's contrary to the gospel. Look with me at verse five of James two. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? This is contrary to the gospel because it's contrary to God's choice of these poor people for salvation. Here's the irony. The very people that you're judging and you're mistreating are the ones that God has chosen to save. The ones that God has chosen to be rich in faith, that he has chosen to be heirs of his kingdom, that he has promised to those who love him. Is it possible that in our partiality, our problem is that we're thinking way too little of these people? the poorest person in this world, if they are in Christ and the next life will be richer than Bill Gates. They are rich in faith. They are heirs of God's kingdom. Maybe the first step is changing the way that we view people in Christ. We judge people, as Paul says, according to the flesh, not according to the values of God's kingdom. And all throughout the Bible, we see God loves to choose the underdog. God loves to choose the outcast. He loves to choose those who the world rejects and sees as poor and unimportant. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. You notice he's not trying to pump up their self-esteem here. I mean, quite the opposite. In Corinth, this is an arrogant church. And he's saying, I mean, think about yourself. None of you are important. Let's keep going. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why does God do that? Verse 29, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. God loves to choose the poor, the underdog, the unimportant in the eyes of this world so that no one can boast in the presence of God, so that it will be evident that it's all Him. Now, I want to offer a two minute rabbit trail clarification. Uh, The Bible does not teach that it's a good thing to be poor or a bad thing to be rich we can sometimes get a little bit confused, run a little bit too far with this. The Bible doesn't teach that. It doesn't teach that you're automatically saved because you're poor. You're automatically lost because you're rich. The Bible does not teach that money's bad. The Bible teaches that money is dangerous. Teaches that money is dangerous because with wealth comes the temptation to trust in our wealth. And when we're trusting in the things of this world and the comforts of this world, it becomes a lot harder to look to the next world. It becomes a lot harder to put our hope in eternity. I mean, think about the rich young ruler. I love this story in the Gospels. This guy comes to Jesus and says, teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gives him the law, right? He gives him the 10 commandments. And this guy says, I've already done all that. And Jesus, seeing him, loved him, said to him, okay, you've already done all that, great. Uh, All you need to do now is sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and then go and follow me. And how does he respond? Jesus said he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. It was his wealth that caused him to reject the gospel. And here's the thing, by not doing that, he showed that he'd already broken the first commandment. He had made a God out of his wealth and put that ahead of the Lord. Now, I heard David Platt say this in a sermon one time, and I think this is really impactful the Bible does not teach that we need to sell all of our possessions and give them to the poor in order to be saved. And if you just breathed a sigh of relief, you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus would say that to. Because when we trust in our wealth, it shows that we are trusting more in the things of this world than in the things of the Lord. So the Bible does not teach that money is bad. It teaches that it is dangerous. And for this reason, the Lord loves to choose those who are poor in this world as we see in this text. But let's continue now in verse six. It's contrary to how they're being treated. Verse six says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I mean, he's dumbfounded at the irony of the situation. You're mistreating your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're sucking up to the guys who are persecuting you. You're pandering to the ones who are dragging you into court to rip you off. You're pandering to the ones who are persecuting you and they are blaspheming the very name of God. And here's why they're doing it. They wanted so badly to be associated with those who had wealth and status in this world that they were willing to dishonor their brothers and sisters in Christ to get it. That's what sinful partiality does in us. It reveals what we value. It reveals that we value the things of this world rather than the kingdom of God. So how can we respond to this since it is contrary to the gospel? We need to remember that through the gospel, we are one. We are in one body. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One. It breaks down every barrier. It's been said many times, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's what the gospel does. The gospel reminds us that all of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where, what anything is, any of the external characteristics that we talk about, we are all sinners before a holy God and deserving of his wrath. Yet we are all equally saved through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when we internalize that, That severs the root of sinful partiality. That's what it does. How can I judge someone else when I am equally condemned? And better yet, how can I judge someone else when I'm equally justified by his grace? I'm in just as much need of salvation as they are. The gospel provides the antidote and only the gospel does. We talk a lot about the need for unity in the world and our country is so divided and, and all of these things, but listen, the gospel's the only hope. I've got no hope in anything else to unite our country except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. None. The gospel's the only hope. Only Jesus can bring people together. Only Jesus can create a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it's just amazing. Only Jesus can do this. So it's contrary to God's character. It's contrary to the gospel. James' last reason not to show partiality is that it's contrary to God's law. It's contrary to God's law. Verses eight and nine say, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If we fulfill this royal law, I take that just to mean the, the law of the kingdom of God. If we fulfill this royal law, God's will that is mediated through Jesus, we do well, he says, if we love our neighbor as ourselves. And we'll circle back to that in a minute. But when we show partiality, when we fail to love our neighbor as ourselves, we sin, we violate the law. He's saying it's not just rude. It breaks the law as transgressors. And then in verses 10 and 11 he says for whoever fails to whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. You know, we might be tempted to think big deal James, I'm just playing a little favorites. It's not like I killed somebody. It's not like I committed adultery. And besides, there's like 600 or something commands in the Old Testament. You know, if I just broke one of them, I'm doing pretty good. Even just take the Ten Commandments. I break one of them, I still get a 90. That's a B. That's pretty good, right? We think that way because we tend to have such a fragmented view of God's law. And we forget that God's revealed will in Scripture, God's commands in Scripture come to us from one God, They are different expressions of his one perfect will that we are called to reflect. So James is saying, you break one part of it, you break all of it. John MacArthur used the illustration of a window. Let's say you just picture in your mind a big old window and you walk up to that window with a hammer and you hit one part of the window. What's gonna happen to the whole window? It's gonna break. You're gonna break the whole window and somebody will come up to you and say, hey, you broke the window. Your response is, no, I didn't. I only hit one small part of it. Is that excuse gonna fly? No, you broke it because it's one window in the same way. James is teaching us, even if we were just to break one part of it, we break the whole thing. And our relationship to God is now lawbreaker. And let me give you some bad news this morning. That's all of us. It's the whole human race. Romans 3.23 says, "'For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God.'" Every single one of us have shattered that window many times over. We are all guilty before God. Our only hope is God's mercy and God's love in Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. So listen, guys, partiality is not a small thing. It's contrary to God's character, contrary to the gospel, contrary to God's law. It dishonors God and it hurts people. It reveals that we value the things of the world rather than the things of God's kingdom. But I'm thankful that James doesn't just say, hey, quit doing that. But instead, he tells us what we can do instead. So let me give you two things that James tells us to do instead of showing partiality. So first, instead of partiality, show love. Let's circle back to James 2.8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. He's saying, we are doing well, we are fulfilling the royal law according to scripture when we love our neighbor as ourselves. Love is the antidote to partiality. Love is the opposite of partiality. And in fact, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest and most important commandment in the law? He said, love. Matthew 22 says this, And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. One of my seminary professors said one time, if you were to love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly, you would never sin. But you would never sin. If you loved your neighbor You wouldn't lie to them. You wouldn't be violent toward them. You wouldn't gossip about them. All of these things that we see as sins, they could be cured with love. It summarizes the whole law, and this is why it's the antidote to partiality. If you love your neighbor, you will not look down on them or mistreat them because of what's on the outside, because of how much money they have, because of how attractive they are, because of their skin color, because of where they're from, because of their gender, because of their job, any of those things. Love for neighbor means love regardless. It means kindness and respect no matter what. So how can we do this? Practically speaking, how can we show love to our neighbor when we're tempted to show partiality? Let me give you three things here. First, pray. First thing is pray. Both pray for yourself. Pray that the Lord would soften your heart toward this person, pray and confess moments where you are tempted towards sinful partiality. And then second, pray for that person. For you guys who were in our spiritual formation class on Wednesday night, one of the things that came up in that class is that it's really hard to hate someone while you're praying for them. You ever notice that? It's really hard to hate someone while you're praying for them. When you start praying for that person, watch how the Lord softens your heart and begins to change you in that process. So first we pray, but then second we speak We speak words of kindness, intentional words of kindness, both about them and to them. We're gonna see in a couple of weeks in James 3 about how there is the power of life and death in the tongue, in the way that we speak. So let's use that for good. When we're tempted to be sinfully partial toward another person, intentionally find ways to encourage and to build them up with your mouth. So we pray, we speak, and then finally, we act. Oftentimes, Actions of love lead to feelings of love, not the other way around. So we can choose to act in a loving way to serve this person and watch how the Lord changes our hearts in the process. If we choose love instead of partiality, then the last point this morning, instead of partiality, we show mercy. Instead of partiality, we show mercy. James concludes of verses 12 and 13 saying this. So speak and so act, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He reminds us, hey, listen, speak and act as those who are going to be judged. When we're sinfully partial, we are busy judging others. And he's reminding us, actually, you're the one who's going to be judged. We judge based on our sinful, selfish standards, but we're gonna be judged by God's perfect standard by the law of liberty. So what do we do? We speak and act in accordance with that. And then he gives us an important standard to remember. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Jesus put it a little bit differently in Matthew 5, 7, but it's the same basic idea. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It is the mercy that you show other people that reveals how much you understand and have grasped the mercy that has been shown to you. To put it differently, you will only show mercy to others if you understand how much mercy you've received in Christ. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It is only as we know the gospel, it is only as we know in the depth of our souls The mercy that we've received that we are enabled and empowered to show mercy to other people. And in this way, mercy will triumph over judgment in our lives. Mercy will triumph over judgment, both on the final day when we stand before God, the mercy that we show will be evidence of the mercy that we've received. And in our relationships, we will be quick to show mercy instead of being quick to judge. We will be quick to assume the best about people, quick to give the benefit of the doubt, quick to forgive when wronged, quick to overlook an offense instead of getting offended, quick to show mercy. We do this because we remember that it is mercy that is the basis of our salvation. It's mercy and mercy alone is why we can expect to enter heaven one day. The Puritan pastor, Thomas Hooker, when he was on his deathbed, someone came to him and said, sir, you're going to receive your reward. His response was, brother, I'm going to receive mercy. I'm not going in there because of me, but because of him because he has shown me mercy. That's the only hope that sinners like you and me have. The only hope for lawbreakers like us, for window breakers like us, is the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. That Jesus, who kept the law perfectly, died in the place of lawbreakers like you and me, so that when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus Christ, we ask him to forgive us and to come into our lives. When that happens, we are free. We are forgiven. We are clean. And with that mercy, we are now empowered to be instruments of God's mercy in the lives of other people. So let me leave you with two takeaways this morning and we'll close in song. The first takeaway is remember how Jesus has loved you. Remember how Jesus has loved you. It's what we just talked about. You will not be a loving or a merciful person unless you get this, unless your mind and heart are just saturated and enamored with the gospel. We need to remember how Jesus has loved us and how did he do it? One of the best passages to go to is Philippians 2, verses five through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, And every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Lord of glory came to this earth, took on the form of a servant, and was obedient to the form of death. And I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. For sinners like you and me, for lawbreakers like you and me, had Jesus shown partiality in his salvation, we would all be lost. We would all be hopeless. And yet, Jesus came to this earth, gave his life on the cross for us so that we could receive God's mercy instead of God's judgment. He rose from the dead three days later, ascended into heaven so that now everyone who turns from their sins and trusts in Jesus and receives him into their life as Lord and Savior is now, even if you're the poorest in this world, you are now rich in faith. You are now an heir of the kingdom of God. You are now a son and daughter of our heavenly father. That's amazing. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. That in Christ, we are free. We are forgiven. And eternally speaking, we are rich. And so when we understand this, when we understand that at the depth and the core of our being, we can now repent of sinful partiality. It's our second takeaway. We now are empowered to repent of sinful partiality. As we've discussed, church, sinful partiality, it's a sin against God. It's contrary to his character, to his gospel, and to his law. Partiality slanders God. It misrepresents him as his image bearers, and it hurts other people. And if we're being honest enough, I think everybody here would admit that there have been times in our lives where we've been guilty of this. Perhaps we've been victims of this, or we're judging people based on the outward appearance instead of on the heart, as the Lord says. So what can we do? Let's do some self-examination and ask the Lord to reveal to you this in your own heart. Let's confess that sin to the Lord and then ask him for the strength and the wisdom to walk in love and mercy toward other people instead of being quick to judge. It is my hope and my prayer that Coastal Church Gloucester would develop a reputation as the most welcoming church in the community, that everyone knows it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how you're dressed. Come to Jesus. And now listen, As I say that, I also want to be quick to say that Pastor Steve and I were talking this last week as I was preparing for this sermon and we were just praising you all because I think we already are. I am amazed by how loving and how welcoming this church is. When I came here eight years ago, I experienced that. And I know many people have that same story. So I say this to praise Coastal Church for this and to say, let's keep going and let's keep growing. Let's strive to be a church that loves and welcomes everyone who comes through these doors. Let's be known for our love and our mercy toward everyone because we are so in love with Jesus Christ, the one who has shown love and mercy to us. So with that, I wanna invite the worship team to come back and we're gonna go out singing and worshiping the Lord this morning. I wanna invite the prayer team to come now. And listen, if you wanna talk to somebody about a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you came in this morning with a burden, with a prayer need, and you want someone to pray with you, they would love to pray with you. You can come during this last song or after the service. Uh, And I know this is really unspiritual, but just a reminder about what I mentioned earlier about the baptism videos. I love you guys. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Uh, Let's close in prayer and we'll go out singing. Father, thank you that you have loved us so much in Christ, even when we did not deserve it, even when we were your enemies, Lord, even though we are sinners, you sent your son to die in our place so that we could know you. And so Father, I pray that you would now empower us to be instruments of your love and mercy wherever we are. Give us opportunities to show love and to speak love to everyone that we know. Help us to identify ways in our lives where we fall short and where we are sinfully partial and help us to be quick to repent. Soften our hearts toward you and toward others. God, we love you. Help us, we pray. We can't do this on our own, Lord. We need you. Help us, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and go out singing this morning.